Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. We're glad you're here and we're glad the Holy Spirit's here. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the book of Psalms, the first chapter. I want you to help me preach this morning. Uh, I got something that'll help everyone in this room. I love preaching on these subjects. It doesn't matter whether you called the ministry, just just life, it'll help. Amen. Psalms chapter 1, and grab, we're going to go to John the 15th chapter. And I want to read a few verses out of there. But Psalms chapter 1, in verse 1, says this, and I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. How many has ever ever worried about something and has kept you up late at night? Raise your hand. Well, everybody in here knows how to meditate then. You just meditated on the wrong thing. Come on, let's look at it again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Look at this, verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water, pr- pr- planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I was listening to a message the other day by Pastor Bill, and he was sharing that the drought in California is over. But he said, what's amazing is that the trees by the Sacramento River never knew there was a drought. Rod Parsley wrote a book some years ago, said no dry season. There is a place where we can be planted. Come on, somebody. That we're not aware of no drought. It's always raining. Psalms 46 says there's a river that dwells in the city. Come on. Though the earth be shaken, there's always that river. There's always that place. So let's look at John 15. John chapter 15. I want to read a few verses out of John 15. Look at verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branch. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You know, we say, well, remember when I found God. You ever tried to find him? Go find him. He found you, friend. You wasn't looking for him. He was looking for you. Don't you love that? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. 
Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you for this meeting. Father, I thank you for the people that you've ordained to sit in this place this morning. And Father, I thank you for the privilege to stand before them. And I ask, Father, this morning that you would anoint me because your word's already anointed. Help me and supply that to which makes preaching effective. Open our ears to hear that we may hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray throughout this meeting this morning that you would develop in our heart a deep trust to trust you, Lord. To trust you. In Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, help us trust you. That's just where I'm at. I'm learning how to trust the Lord. For the Bible says some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord. Paul said, I am persuaded, fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. No devil can't steal it from me. No person can't take it from me. That's all I want you to get this morning, and I'm going to preach this in a roundabout way. Stanton sends me, sometimes he'll send me different book topics. And and one of my problems is I'll say this, that I am a reader, and I have read a pile of books. I've read a pile. If if anybody's ever done something for God, I've read about it. And a lot of times with reading a book like that, I'm good. Thank you, Ali Mike. I just don't want to hold you up. You you play all the time, and I I just don't want to overwork you. You're already underpaid. I just don't want to overwork you. So you're going to have to help me preach this morning, okay? Larry, if you see anybody sleeping on your roof, holler out at them. Don't do that. You'll always scare them. But anyhow, because he'll do it. But, um, you know, when you have you ever have you ever read a book or you see, we see different ones. Everybody's got their favorite preacher. You know, you can watch Stephen Furtick. I mean, he's a young guy with multiple campuses and all this going on. And then you look at your world and you say, my God, I ain't doing nothing for God. Huh? I mean, you read, uh, you read Billy Graham at 33 years of age. He's sitting down with his first president. I'll be 40 next month and ain't seem like done nothing. Come on now. And so, but how many knows this, that you can't live nobody else's life? You've got to stay in the lane that God called you to. And I often heard it said like this, you know, when Billy Graham gets to heaven, look at the crown he's going to have. But I want to say this, that Billy Graham's going to have no greater crown than you get than you get, as long as you obey God with the lane that God called you. If God called you to raise three children and be a housewife and you succeed at that, then that's just as important as what Billy Graham is doing. Come on now. And so, so that's not to take away from what the, the great man of God that Billy Graham was. And it doesn't mean to take away from the crown of the fruit in which he has. But I just know this, that it is God's will that everyone in this room, it is the will of God that you bear fruit. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for fruit in our lives, not the fruit that starts, but fruit that remains. That's what we read. And I pray that your fruit remains. Anyone in this room can start a race, but it's those who finish that gets God's attention. Anyone can start the race, but God is looking for finishers. And so I, I, I've been at this for some time now. Not, I know that I just told you that I'll be 40 years old next month, but I started when I was 18. 
And so, and there's many that's been on the race a whole lot longer than I have. And what I have found that this is no sprint that you and I are in. This is a marathon. And what I'm learning now in my life, that the vision that God entrusts to us and in our heart, and, 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 and you know that Damon's preaching this now, but he wasn't the first one to run with it. And I heard a guy say the other day, if the vision in your heart can be accomplished in your lifetime, the vision never came from God. Let's be honest. God is still working on his vision of Matthew chapter 28, that the nations of the earth would be discipled. Come on, somebody. And so the great commission would be fulfilled. So the vision that God entrusts us with, God always thrusts us in over our head. If you're not in over your head, you're not, in the, you're not in what God's called you to. God never calls you to something you can accomplish. He calls you to something that you feel over your head that you have no, there's no way that you can accomplish without his strength and his might. Is that good? Y'all looking like cattle in a new gate. I'll say something in a minute. Now listen to this. So it's the will of God. Look at your neighbor and say, it's the will of God that I bear fruit. God does not want you to bear fruit just for a season. God wants you to bear fruit that remains. He wants us to be fruitful. This is the commandment that he gave in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. God wants us to bear fruit. Now let me say what fruit is. Fruit is not, uh, is not what we call church stuff. The fruit that God wants us to produce is Christ-likeness. It's one thing to be anointed, come on somebody, but the fruit is how we measure where we're at in the presence of God. Galatians 5, are we long-suffering? Are we kind? Hello, I've been plenty anointed, but I ain't been kind. <laughs> Here's how you know how deep you is, how deep you are. Help me out, Catherine. You can't take the country out of the boy. Listen, here's how you know how deep you are. See, that's why God put me in the South. You can get away with stuff like that, y'all and ism and all this. Listen, I, she's a teacher. She's the Holy Spirit plus a teacher. And so, so anyhow, I don't forgot where I was going with that. Let's just forget that. Messed it up. All right, huh? Here's how I know how deep I am. Whatever it takes to affect the world in which I live in. Whatever shakes you, if a small amount shakes you, that's how deep you are. If when you pull up to Hardy's and get a chicken sandwich at 12.05 and they say pull to the white line and it shakes you, you're not very deep. How do I say that? Because it has shaken me before. When you go to Zaxby's and order a chicken finger plate and they say pull up, and they don't have that many items to cook. They're not cooking burgers, ribs, and chicken fingers. They're just cooking chicken wings and chicken fingers. Come on now. So now I want to talk about, listen to this. Let me say this. God is more concerned about building you than he is your call and your destiny. You are the person that God is trying to build. I'm the person that God is trying to build. And God is trying to develop a deep sense into my heart, something called trust, to trust him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. You with me now? So let's, I want to read, read something to you. In the growth cycle of fruit-bearing plants, fruit comes at the very end. 
This is what we, we, we hear God speak to us, Junior, or we get a glimpse of what God wants to do with our lives. We get a glimpse of it in the secret place. Or when we meet together, God will call us out and prophesy. People will prophesy. They begin to see our destiny, the things that's in our heart, and they begin to call them out. That happened to me as an 18, 19-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid, 21. All throughout my life, people called me out, and they would prophesy these great things over my life. Well, back then, I thought I would be on TBN by the time I I was 21. It ain't happened. Maybe it never will. But what happens is, is we look for fruit within a few months. Fruit is, fruit is the last thing that will appear in the life, in the growth cycle, of, in the natural. If it's the last to appear in the growth cycle in the natural, it's probably going to be the last to appear in the growth cycle in the spiritual. Because a lot of things are taking place before the fruit ever happens. If the, if the plant has not matured enough to hold the fruit, in other words, the root system hasn't been developed enough, the fruit will actually cause the, cause the plant to break and it will kill the plant that was trying to produce the fruit. So what happens is the root system has to develop and in the root system of the plant, you can't see what's going on. There's a lot of stuff happening this morning in the realm of the spirit that you and I can't see. We see empty chairs. I'll just preach from, I see empty empty chairs. Come on, somebody. But God sees further down the road where I am. Actually, he's working our lives from the finished part to where we're at now. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He already wrote my days in his book before I ever got here. Have you read Psalms 139? All your days was written down in the book before you ever got here. And we panic in chapter 2 when there's a whole lot more chapters left to be, left to be uh, experienced in God. And we're panicking in chapter 2. But he has authored the book from the beginning to the end. That's why he don't give up on you in your failures, in your weaknesses, where you're at now. Because he sees He's the finished product, and he that hath begun a good work in us shall complete it unto the day of Jesus. I'm by no means a finished product. Now, fruit is the last thing that comes at the very end. The cycle starts with a seed. The, the cycle starts with a seed being planted in the ground. Now we know this, that the seed is the word of God. It's not only the written word of God, it's the spoken word of God. You with me? It's, the cycle starts with the seed being planted in the ground. When watered, the seed will break open and begin to put down roots. The root systems will grow until the seed forms a shoot and eventually breaks through the surface. Both the plant and the root system will grow until it is mature enough to produce fruit. For the plant to survive and produce fruit, its root system has to take up more space underground than above ground. Now here's what I want to say. A lot of times when the plant breaks the surface of the ground, we think that it's ready to go. This is when the call or your anointing becomes visible to everybody around you. Just because the anointing is visible to everyone around you doesn't mean that you're ready to bear fruit. Now, there's some people in this room, one of the things that we've got, especially with millennials and, the, and, and Gen Zers, is we live in an instant society. 
I mean, you could pull up to a window and order, I mean, almost a five-course meal and have it slung out the window. That does not happen in God. God is a farmer. God's tending things. It takes time. Are you with me now? It takes time. There's, and, and a lot of times if it happens quickly, I'm just saying what I've seen in my life, people that get out there real fast do not end up good. The Bible says in Proverbs like this, an inheritance gained swiftly will not be blessed in the end. If you grow in the process, as long as your gift is growing and you're growing on the inside, that is what is going to take and sustain you longevity. And what I found to preaching the gospel is God loves his people. God does love me, but he loves his people. Come on, somebody. And he's not going to bless a shepherd to get beyond where his character can hold him. Because if you smite the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. All right. Now, so everything starts with the seed. Listen to this. Likewise, for us to produce much fruit, we must be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. Listen to this. Author E.M. Bounds, who is great on prayer, says this, that the man of God is made in the secret place. God forms us in the secret place. Every person in this room, listen, God wants you bigger on the inside than you, want, than you are on the outside. And what we pray, God, give us more anointing. Give us more anointing. What we translate is we want to be seen. We don't want more anointing. We want to be seen. Come on now. Everybody wants to feel significant. All right. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. I want to talk about things becoming, getting to be a, a seed dropped into your heart. Right here. I don't look at the life of David. 1 Samuel 16. So in this process of you bearing fruit, God's trying to make you bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. Religion works from the outside in. Religion always wants to clean the man up from the outside in. Listen, God's kingdom will always flow from the inside out. The kingdom of God is heart issues. That's why Jesus starts out preaching in Matthew 5 on the Beatitudes, which should be our attitude. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observations of men's eyes. Luke 17 says, for the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of a man that defiles his man, right? God, the kingdom of God works from the inside out. Religion works from the outside in. Now, God drops everything in our heart as seed form. When you pray for a massive revival, God will always hand you an acorn. God hands everybody an acorn. How, how many knows this? But the oak tree that we are praying for and believing for is, is, is inside the acorn. You remember I told you this story. One time at, at, at this was a service at Bethel that Pastor Bill felt like there was a lady on the front that he should pray for and he prayed for. Anyhow, the lady needed $500. And so anyhow, he didn't have $500 on him, but he had a $50 bill on him. And he gave the lady a $50 bill. She needed $500. And he prophesies over her that the the 500 you need is contained in the 50. See, a lot of times when it comes to finances, we say if I could get a job to make more money, we'd get out of this financial trouble. The financial trouble is not having to do with your pocketbook. It has everything to do with your heart. Come on, somebody. Help us out in here. We're quiet. Listen, the finance, it's a wisdom issue. It's on how do we look at what we have. Come on now. So he tells her that the 500 is found in the 50. So the lady goes to the grocery store, and she, she's getting her groceries or whatever. She needs $500. But she sees a family ahead of her that is $50 short on their grocery bill. 
So she takes the 50 and she hands him the $50 that she needs. Do you believe that God orchestrated that? Why wasn't it $40 short? Why wasn't it $30 short? Why was it 50? Come on, somebody. God was setting this lady up. Come on now. She hands him the $50 and she gets home. Someone pulls in her driveway that was in the service and they handed her the $500 that she needs. The $500 was in the 50. Now, how many knows if she would have viewed the $50 that she had and said, I'm only $450 away from getting a miracle and held on to it? Come on, somebody. That 50 would have been all she left with. But, but she saw the 500 inside the 50. This is how we look at ministry. I tell Stanton, how, according to how many nations you touch is how you handle that that you've been handed in that youth room. The nations you want is inside that youth room. It's how you look at it and how you handle it. It comes in seed form. Nobody ever goes from the pew straight to the big stage. No, everybody wants to talk about T.D. Jakes at his Potter House in Dallas. How about somebody talk about Jakes that was in West Virginia when they told him that he couldn't even preach the gospel because you speak with a list. Nobody wants to hear no, no Afro black man with a list with a gap between his teeth. But 30,000 people gather on Sunday, every Sunday, to hear the man from West Virginia. How you handle what you've been given. Can I tell you this? The days that he spent in West Virginia groomed him on his way to where he's at in Dallas. This is good. Now listen to this. Seed comes into David's heart. Let's look at this in 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Then invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come to me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came and he looked at Eli and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. God is looking at the inside. Man always sees the fruit, but God always sees the root system. This is good. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass. Neither has he chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent out and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Had some bagley in him somewhere. 
And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now here's the deal. You've got to think this. This is Billy Graham, the president, everything wrapped in one. The royal chariot showed up at his house. Can you imagine the deal? All of this is happening. Jesse's got his sons there, his favorite. David, in his eyes, was not even a candidate. Can I tell you, that's a, that happens in church after churches after churches. The one we think would never be used by God is the ones that get used by God. God chooses the weak to confound the mind of the wise. Come on, somebody. So Jesse, the first, even when Samuel saw Eli, how he was tall, how he had the look, he had everything about him to look like a king. But on the inside where God was looking is that God knew what Samuel couldn't see, that inside Eli thought he was already grown. Listen to this. Sons will always show up the house, always show up at a house to be taught. Orphans will always come full grown. That's good. Orphans will always be full grown. Know everything, have already done it, been there, bought the t-shirt, can't be taught anything. Sons can be taught anything. So he pulls up there and then David... Samuel says, my God, we, there's got to be something wrong either. either I heard it wrong or there's got to be, hold on, there's one more. We got David. He's out in the field t- taking care of the few sheep. Let's go get him and bring him in. When he brings him in, Samuel anoints him in front of his brothers. Listen to this. God will always bless us right in front of our brothers. That is something that will happen until he comes back. And God always does that to see what's inside of our heart. You will always be on the job, the promotion that you thought you deserved. There will always be someone to get it in front of you because God will test what's in your heart. It's a good one. I want to shout me down right here, but listen. How you handle that moment determines when your blessings going to show up. When, can you rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep? Come on. If God blesses Matt, it's a matter of time before Cleve gets it. Come on, somebody. This is how we got to learn how to look at it. Because we're such poverty-minded people in the house of God, we believe because Larry got a piece of the pie that now the pie went down. Can I tell you, if Larry gets a piece of the pie and, and Manny gets a piece of the pie and Tom gets a piece of the pie, the pie never runs short. God's got more than enough to bless us all in this room. Come on, somebody. And here's how we look at it. If God got Larry, guess what? He's within my own tribe. It's a matter of time before he shows up in my lane. And here's the other problem we have. We always want somebody else's process other than our own. I wish I had Terry's process. His process looks much easier than mine. Terry seems to be doing good. God is the author. Listen. Help me right here. She is a teacher. Her job is the teacher to evaluate her students to see where they're at. She knows at the end, there comes a test that has to be taken in that room. She knows that her performance is graded by the, by the school system on how well those kids do on that test. 
She's rated whether she's a good teacher or a poor teacher based on how those kids can, can take that test. So she has, every Sunday afternoon, sets down and does something called lesson plans. When she's doing lesson plans, she's not looking in Redding, California, trying to see what they're doing for lesson plans. She looks at the group of kids she's got in front of her, and she knows because she's the teacher at what level and where they're at. She knows what they need repetition on, and she knows what needs to be added into that to help Help them to perform on the test. Why? Because she is a teacher. Can I tell you that God the Father is the teacher and author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that is drawing the lesson plans for our lives. And so when he writes the lesson plans up, I don't like them. Well, he said, John, what I need you to do is sit down and keep your mouth shut. That would help you a lot, son. If you just learn how to keep your mouth shut and praise me, even though you don't see the fig tree blossom, even though there be no herd in the stall. Come on, I'm in the book of Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the God of my strength because he is the one that is drawing the lesson plans that I need to build depth in me. Come on, somebody, because God's not worried about me getting on TBN or Daystar or making some mega church. What he is worried about is that I learn how to produce some fruit and fruit that will remain long after John's gone. He wants generational fruit. And to get generational fruit, we got to learn how to dig deep. It's good. I don't like it where I'm at. I don't like the lesson plans he's been giving me. I said, now here's two ways to prolong the lesson plans. I can grumble and complain, call it prayer. Or I can say, you know what, Lord? You're probably, you probably right. I need a lot of help in calculus. And start studying the calculus. And as soon as I can pass the test, and God always gives open book tests. Let's just break this down in real life. Hold on. Right here, listen. God, God, God drops his seed. He drops his seed into David's heart. You're going to be king. All his brothers heard it. The whole town heard it. You're going to be king. You're going to be a great preacher. The anointing that's on your life is not a domesticated anointing. It's a, it's a, you, God's not giving you a dip net. He gave you a large net cast into the sea. There's an international anointing upon your life. And you're thinking, man, this dude just said there's an international anointing on my life and I'm in Sparks, Georgia. But just because my location, listen, location don't determine what God's saying. God don't care if you're in, he don't care if you're in Sparks, Georgia. Come on. He don't care if you're in Cecil, Georgia. He's able to see. It goes back to the trust factor. So can you imagine, listen, David, most theologians agree that David was between 10 and 13 years old when Samuel saw at his house. 10 to 13 years old when, when, when Samuel came and anointed him to be king. The seed goes into his heart, God's called me to greatness. Now this is how, this is how a lot of us would view this. So when David was asked to do something, he said, no, man, you didn't hear what the prophet said. I'm called to be king. I'm sure not called to go over here and clean up no youth room. I'm called to be king. He got to be kidding. He didn't hear what the prophet said about my life. I'm called to be a king, and he's asked me to clean the bathrooms. Hello. Let's just translate it on the job. He didn't hear, I'm called to be a foreman. <laughs> my father translated that. Yeah, you, you foreman, you foreman at the mouth. Get over there and get to work. Hello. 
go a little further. Grant comes home and tells me something the coach said. Coach didn't say that he was thought he was going to be a number one draft pick. And he didn't come home and said that he thought he's the best athlete he ever seen. But he come home and said this. And what I found was anger rising up in my heart. So I could have unloaded on, 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 on Grant and blew it and said, you know what, he's the sorriest person I've ever seen on the face of the earth. But I got a little bit more wisdom. And I would have said that probably back in my 20s, early 30s, probably even then. But so this is what I said. So we, we go to school on, on a Thursday morning. And I said, let me tell you something. The ball coach will never leave your life. He will always be there. Man, we like, what? The ball coach is always going to be there. They will always be that person that aggravates the hound out of you. Come on, somebody. Let me just tell you a story like this. Ben House, real quiet. How many Graham Cook? Y'all Graham Cook fans? Graham Cook was, um, was doing these meetings, and he had these four men that would travel to these meetings. You ever heard this? Had the four men traveling to these meetings, kind of trying to get him and call him a false prophet. It was after him left and right, trying to get him. Show up at every one of his meetings, four men. So that afternoon, he, I mean, you know, he's ticked off with them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he can't stand them. I mean, he, I mean he's ready to just, I mean, somebody just take these dudes out. You know what I'm saying? They try, they, why are they sitting here trying to get me like this? And so he's praying and he goes into this vision and he sees this, this eye sculptor, this big old rock, and these sculptors are working on it. And, and, and I mean, they just chisel out and they, there's this massive stallion that's been chiseled out of the ice. And then he prayed and he said, God, he said, what is that stallion? The Lord spoke back and said, Graham, that's you. And he said, the four chiselmen that were working, he said, when they turned around, it was the face of those four men that was at that meeting. He said, I changed my whole perception of those men. My, come on, somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost on that. And so he, he said, instead of, instead of trying to run those men off, he said, I designated four, four seats at the front, gave them every bit of our material, and blessed them. He said, after one time when I started blessing them, he said, they never showed up at another meeting. God uses everything in our life. Come on, somebody. He's not just using this church. He's not just using me, the bald-headed fat preacher. He's using the co-worker. He uses the boss man. He uses the teacher in the classroom. He uses the coach on the field. Everything in there to train and equip you because he knows where you're going. Now, David hears this great call of the king. Now that I'm older, when I see a young person, I hear, oh, you got a call to touch nations on the inside. I'm thinking, oh, God, help them right now, Jesus. Terry, is that not what we do? Now, we rejoicing with you when we said, oh, Lord, you better give them some big boy underwear and some big girl panties because things is fit to get real tough and tight because there's going to be a long way. There's a pit between every palace. Come on, somebody. There is a way into that. Now, we know according to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 5, that David did, David did, 2 Samuel chapter 5, become king of Israel. And the scripture says that he was 30 years old when they anointed him to, to be king. You do the math on that. From the time the seed is planted in his life, there is 17 to 20 years of preparation time that it takes to get there. Every Sunday when I leave and week after week, I always feel like, God, why ain't we further than where we at? What I've got to come to terms with and what you've got to come to terms with in this room, we are right where God wants us at. If he wanted us any further, we'd be there. 
Jesus. And here's another thing. If God opened the door for me to be there, they can't nobody get the door closed because he opened the door. All right. Maybe I'm just helping me. I'm just trying to help me. Listen here. There's three things that David had to go to. Number one, intimacy with God. Listen to this. When the seed comes in your heart, there's only one person that can cultivate intimacy with God, and that's you and him. You've got this is the first stage. You ain't never going to water any seed without intimacy. Listen to me. You ain't never going to touch any of the calls that's been prophesied over your life without developing intimacy. Intimacy will take you further than what just coming in here on Sundays. Come on. Because when you can't get a hold of me, you can't get a hold of Larry, Steve, or anybody else in this room. You can always get a hold of God. you got to know that he's always there. He is there in a present help in a time of trouble. That only comes through intimacy. David developed intimacy with God before he ever got the seed dropped in his heart. It was already happening. He was already worshiping God on the backfield. Come on, somebody. He had already defeated the lion and the bear. When Goliath showed up, he went to Saul and said, your servant has already defeated a lion and a bear. Personal victories happen in the secret place. God wants personal victories, and it happens in intimacy with him. There's not going to be much fruit until we get intimacy because, listen, that's why he gave us the great commandment before he gave us the great commission because the great commission is never going to be fulfilled until we get the great commandment settled, which is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy strength. Ministry is an overflow of communion with God. If not, it's jacked up. Number two, he had to learn how to serve. The greatest leaders are the greatest servants. Learn how to serve. When you learn how to serve is this. And let me just say this. I had to learn how to serve things that were not my passion and things that I didn't feel called to. Well, can you do this? I was telling Terry Friday night, we went to the ball game and we went out to eat and we were talking about the early days of ministry. We got asked to do a lot of stuff that I did not feel called to do. I, ain't, I don't feel called to that. Kids, here's a life of youth ministry. One week on fire for God, next week boyfriend posted something now. Well, I didn't even have social media back when I did it. One week up here, we ready to go. I mean, we'll hold up hell with a water pistol. Next week, you got to go get them out of the gutter. But what I have found, let me encourage you on this. What I found, things don't change much from the youth building to this building. Hello. One week we up here, the next week we down here. One week we testify, Lord, it's been good. Hallelujah, Pastor. We went and we walking in the victory. Next Sunday, Lord, we cast down but not destroyed. Hello. People, people. It don't matter. They little people, big people, old people, people, people. <laughs> Ain't much hope. I said, Lord, I love the ministry for wonderful people. The, preacher, the preachers are not paid to preach the gospel. They, they paid to put up people. Forgive us. <laughs> God, oh, listen, God, learn how to serve. I'm talking about learning how to bear fruit in your life. Listen to me, this is good. 
learn how to serve. And when you, when you get opportunity to serve, you can't just look at what is your passion or what you think is in your call. I learned how to manage a budget because we were given $75 a month to operate our youth ministry. Is that the truth? Tell them, $75. I mean, there's not much you can do with $75. Now you can buy them a cup of ice and get them an air sandwich for $75. You got 40 kids. But I learned how. I learned how to study to show myself approved every week. I learned how to get to church early, how to cut on an air conditioner, how to cut on a heater, how to clean bathrooms, how to prepare the facility before they ever got there. I learned how to counsel, listening to the problems of young teenagers, and now they're unbelievable. Come on. Now we're having to literally pull them from the throes of death. As you heard Stanton give the testimony last Sunday of a kid that showed up at FCA that wanted to take his own life. Not only is that kid coming to church, but that kid's going to camp with this youth group and we're going to send them there. That's amazing testimony from God. Come on. And if we really believed legacy, and if we really believed in, in a generational anointing, we wouldn't look at that youth group as some, some church of tomorrow or next year. We would realize these are the ones that we're really running the race for, laying our life down, because these are the finishers that's going to finish what we start. Hello. And their job is to run in such a way that you look at that ignite room not as some little snotty-nosed kids, but you live a life of such lifestyle as a college kid that John Bentley says, I want to be just like Zach. That's what I want to do when I go to college. I want to be an anointed young man. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. My kids cut their hair. Shave it on the sides because Stanton shaves his on the sides. That's Asher looking at him saying, I want to be just like him. I'd rather them have their picture, his picture on their wall as some gangster rapper that don't know nothing about the kingdom of God. Hello. Or some major league baseball player. All right. Learn how to serve. Number three, learn how to live in community. David had to learn how to live in community, and he had to learn how to live in community with some jacked-up folks. Those that were in distress, in debt, the stowaways of society, joined him in the cave of Adullam. Long before there was a 2 Samuel 23 of mighty men, there was a bunch of broke-up men in a cave. Y'all, you see this. You understand if a king is on the inside of you, but you're still a kid, when it gets developed, what's inside of you will get deposited into other people's lives. And those broke, messed up people that joined you in the king of in, in the cave of Adullam will become like you because you learn how to dwell among them and live among them. And those broken vessels will become mighty men he writes about in 2 Samuel 23. Long before there was a shammer, come on somebody, that defended a field of, of peas against the Philistines, he was a broken man next to David in the, cool, in the cave of Adullam. He had to learn how to develop a relationship with God, learn how to live in community, and learn how to serve. All of this happens, not just for preachers in this room, it happens for everybody in this room. Well, I just wonder why I ain't got no fruit. 
Well, a lot of it has to do with we can't submit to process. Look at this in Luke chapter 8. I'm about through with the first point, okay? And I don't have but seven today. We're taking Wednesday off, so I got I to gotta, I gotta give that too. Luke chapter 8. Now, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hears. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and, he, and, and be saved. Look at this. But the same ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Other words, these are folk, they get excited. They feel the euphoric sensation and get all excited. But they have no inward, no, no inward depth. Clay, how many times have we seen this? We, we, go, we go get one. To, boy, I mean, they play in Leonard Raven Hill and, I mean, on fire for three weeks. Fizzle out like a shooting star. What happened? They have no depth on the inside. I can safe to say this probably. You will not wake up every day with your hair standing up in the anointing presence of God. Maybe Damon says you can, but I ain't made it there yet. Let's go on a little further. Let's just get real life. I'll go right here with this. We'll be married 18 years this year. It's been real long for me. No, I'm cutting it. Get the trophy. 18 years. Out of that 18 years, every single day, I ain't was, my gosh, boy. Hey, bit, the Bible talks about bestow, but cast your love. Bestow your love. I had to throw my love on them. More times with this. You understand? But what keeps it going is covenant. Hello. We never looked at this as something we was going to start out and we were going to try to see how it was going to work. Before we got married, we said, well, this is it. It's over with. We burnt the boat. Come on, somebody. There, was no, there ain't no the way of escape. There's only one way. That's to the cross. Every problem's got to go to the cross. So this is why we've got to start here with depth. Come on, somebody. Let's break it down. I won't tell all the grand stuff, but I told him this. He told me because what his job is right now is to play baseball. I don't like to play baseball. You ain't going to like to go to your job every day either. Come on, somebody. But I told him this. You ain't going to like your marriage every day either. But how you handle this proves to me what type of man you are going to become. Come on. Well, I'm only a teenager. How many knows how you act right now? The things you let in your life as a teenager will be there in your 20s. Come on, y'all, I'm telling the truth. Oh, let's get porn in your life as a teenager. Don't think because you put a ring on your finger, it's going to go away. Actually, it will make it worse. Hello? Y'all said, my God, I can't believe he's preaching like this. It starts as a kid. If you don't have a work ethic as a 16 and 17-year-old, it will not magically appear in your life the time you're 27. 
Oh, I'm going to preach right here. I'm going to get... Huh? I mean, we're trying to stuff eggs, and we got people can't even get off the phone long enough to stuff no egg. Let me just say this. If you show up on your job and you can't put your phone down, it ain't going to be long before you have no job. Hello? Steve going to give another offering right here when I get through preaching. Listen. Have no depth. Look at your name. God is interested in building me. Building me. He's not interested in getting me on some radar. He's not interested in building my social media page. He's not interested in getting me preaching gigs. He's not interested in me making no album. He's interested in building me. The depths inside of me so that I can bear lasting fruit. A lot of this is coming from thoughts different things that I'm reading, but I was reading something by Banning Leapshire, and he said this. He said that Bill asked him to become the youth pastor, Bethel Church in Reading. He told him, he said, no, nah, I, I, I'm not called to be the youth pastor. I'm not called to do youth ministry. He said, I'm called to itinerant preach. I'm going to go touch the nations. And, you know, I've been called out by different ones and everything, and I'm called to touch the nations. He said he prayed about it and he prayed about it and they kept coming back and said, we feel like that God is telling you that you should, you should, you should be the youth pastor. He's in his early 20s, 19, I think, 20 years old. So he becomes a youth pastor. Throughout his youth group, there's a girl, young girl in there named Kim Walker. Chris, what he says last name? Keelala. Whatever. These different kids. And they just would get together in their youth group and start worshiping long before there was a Jesus culture. Come on, y'all. Everybody sees the glitz and the glamour. There's a whole lot of process worked out before the glitz and the glamour. So, I mean, God's overtaking this youth group. They got this young Kims up there singing and Chris, and they're, all, they're just worshiping God in their youth group. They said, man, we, we, should, we should capture this. Somebody said, you should capture this by video, what God is doing in your youth group. For real? You think, I mean, you think we should capture it by? So they borrow a few cameras, and they capture it. And Kim is singing the song, How He Loves. Who wrote that? Macmillan. Mark McMillan, How He Loves. She's singing that song and they capture it. And they capture these different things and whatever. And someone, they don't even, they don't even, ha- they don't even have the idea, none of them have the idea that we should maybe upload this on YouTube. Somebody else who's seen it takes and uploads it on YouTube. It gets 250,000 views and it blows them away. And there's just, out of that is the birth of Jesus culture. Now, Banning Leapshire is traveling and he is shaking the globe. But where did it come out? It come out of, through Pastor Bill looking at him saying, would you be the youth pastor? Oh, but I'm called to shake nations. You don't understand, Pastor John. 
God said, from I was a child that I would travel and touch nations. And it's just got to go back to this. What does it matter if we touch Pakistan, India, and every continent on the face of the earth and we bury teenagers left and right, right here where we come from. You take care of Judea, Samaria, then the other most parts of the earth. God will use Judea to train you. Now, let's go a little deeper in this. Can I, I've got 10 more minutes right here. Now, why is the prophet not welcome in his own country, not, not honored in his own country? Because God will let you travel. And when you travel, you will be, man, I'm telling you right now, I'm go, I can't wait to get to Frank and Shirley Carter's house. I'll be anointed down there because they're going to think I'm the greatest thing since a pocket on a T-shirt. You know what I'm saying? He'll be ready to hear me. They won't be sleeping while I'm preaching. You know what I'm saying? They'll actually show up to come hear me. But when I get back amongst my own people, God's going to always have you to come back to a house where you can't be the big dog. Hello. He's going to always have you in the house where you can't be the big dog. Because if you're the big dog all the time, you got a big head. And when you get the big head, you lose sight of the people that God's called you to. He's going to always have you in the house. That's a big job. We know John, that bald-headed joker, can't have preach, stutters, says is and R's and don't even know basic English because God works humility out in our lives listen to this the ones that fell on I ain't even going to get to half of this let me just finish this up anybody can start the race look at anybody in this room can start the race you can get fired up this morning you're going to go touch the race you can start the race show me how many people that can be there still standing with to go through the fire because I can promise you this you're going to go through storms friend you're going, to go through, you're going to go through trials and you're going to go through tribulations, but they're all producing endurance in your life. You're not cut out for the ministry if you don't have endurance. You will have to have endurance. You will have to endure some things. Will you not, Larry? All right. We've got to bring a new definition of success. I heard this last week, and it comes through Damon Thompson. He says this, God has not called you to reach a goal. And I prayed, Amanda, please help me receive this, Lord, for my life. Not for nobody else, for John Bagley. Help me to receive this. That God has not called you. God has not called me to reach a goal here. God has called me to redeem a land here. To redeem a land cannot happen overnight, and it cannot happen in a few years. It's going to take time 75. And then it's going to have to be Jake taking the wheel and Stanton taking the wheel and Grant and Jesse and John and, and BB and all the rest of them. Going to take, it's going to take a while to redeem a land. He's not calling us to reach a goal. But the reason why I'm wired to reach a goal because we measure success by, the, by not the way God does. We measure it by the world. How many numbers can you run in here? See, people watching this podcast today and they say, look at John. He's struggling. Look at the chairs that's in there at vacant. But they don't see the lives that's being changed. We can't put that on the camera. They don't see the river that we're standing on. That ain't. It may not be very wide yet, baby, but let me tell you something. I can drop an anchor down at least 25 foot in this river. It ain't been dry. After 20-something years, it ain't never went dry. Come on. It's a deep river up in him. How do you know that? Because Dale drenched on it for 19 years. Junior did three. Now I've been after for five. This river's deep up in this house. 
And what we've done is we've tried to measure success in the kingdom of God the way the world does. What does it matter? The Falcon Stadium can hold 45,000. It can't raise the dead. Come on, somebody. Jesus only had three in Jairus' house, and most preachers wouldn't have thought that was successful. But they took a 12-year-old girl that they said was dead and got her up from that bed. Everybody sees the Nick Saban today, but it took him a few years to get there. He didn't show up to Alabama and come out and win a national championship. It takes time. Somebody would go look at our baseball team and laugh at us right now because we're struggling. But we got something. It's just young. We still let the ball go between our legs and stuff like this happens. We're still striking out, but it's because we're young. Give them three years and they'll beat up on anybody you put in front of them. Come on. But what happens, I'm I'm just letting you in my personal life. We struggle because it's bred on the inside of us to be goal-oriented and to try to reach a goal. What I'm trying to reach can't be reached in 2019. Even when God gave us the prophecy about the breakout year, he, well, I believe what God was saying. I'm going to begin to show you trickles in 2018 what I want to do. You ain't going to walk in the fullness of it. I'm going to begin to shift and turn the tide. And it did shift and change. It did. God did everything he said he was going to do. All right. Now. The one that develops a root system. Let me just look at this. I'm, I'm going to finish right here with this. Go to first, Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Adam, Mike, you come play for me right here. We'll close out on a, on a good note. If you go where Damon Thompson's at, who's still on some of the largest stage stages in America, and he's got a church that can only hold 100 people. And most people in there will say, I mean, he's, that, that's, that's stupid. He's not even successful. But here's, here's, here's the measure of success. We'll see. Time will prove out. If he can leave his anointing, See, here's how you know when it's real. When the man that's toting the torch, when he goes down, there's 10 that can there's 10 that's running with his same torch. See, Hebrews chapter 11. Abel being dead, yet he speaks. How does a dead man speak? He speaks to the legacy he's left in his children. My dad left the earth on February, uh, uh, July 31st, 2006 but he's still speaking through me every day for what he planted into my life. One you can build in a year and you can build overnight, but one takes an entire lifetime to build. You want to be successful in ministry? It only takes one thing, money. I've done been around the block and no, come on, Terry, that's that's what it takes. Get you some money, you can be successful in ministry. How do you know that? The Bible says you can buy friends with your money. Do you know that? It says for you to make friends with your money. We get some, we get some Keurigs at the front door, some donuts, 
run all kind of programs. Have a program for your, for your dogs to hold on yards. People come, program. But it's when the program stops, it's over with. Because we live in a consumer world now. Most people go to church and never see the church as a family. They see the church as a business and they're there to consume from that business. But in my early 20s, and she can testify to this, we didn't show up in our early 20s. Church started, we started church at Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. We were there by 145 because I was a leader. A leader means you out front. Hello. We went to give, not to get, because I had God all week in the secret place. We've got to change the measure of success. Uh, listen right here. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God is only building in our lives what will stand for eternal. He's not building the wood, hay, and stubble in our lives. That is us building that. He's building the eternal. The Lord is the teacher, and we are the student. He is the one designing our course of study and writing the lesson plans in which we get. It is not me that gets to choose the lesson plans that he's teaching. He evaluates my life and says, this is the lesson that I'm handing you in this season. Psalms 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. If you build it, you will be the one to maintain it. But if God builds it, he will maintain it. That's so good. If God opens the door, if God opened the door for us to move to Sparks, Georgia, he's the only one that could ever close the door. If God opened the door for you, he's the only one that can close it. What God wants us is trust. He wants us to trust him. He is a good father. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author, and the finisher of our faith. He's already written it out. All I got to do is just look into his eyes and walk in the path that he's laid before me. When I'm biting my fingernails and going crazy and trying to hang on and feel like I'm riding the Titanic with a snorkel kit on it, he's never worried. He's never freaked out. When the disciples were freaked out on the boat, about to pass out for fear, Jesus was asleep on that boat. And the peace that enabled him to sleep in the storm was the peace that enabled him to speak to the storm. 
Come on now. God's working a far greater thing than you and I can see in this room with our lives. Far greater. Now, let me say this. We were talking the other day, Terry and I, when we were talking about traveling and preaching. I love to travel and preach. Think about it. It's easy. It's, you said you blow in, blow up, and blow out. And we were talking about riding on the plane. I've rode on the planes. And there is some type of sense of validation. But when I strapped in that charter flight, we flew Virginia, there was a sense of arrival. My God, you know, there's just that feeling. Let me just say this. No measure of success will ever bring fulfillment. Only doing what God called you to do is the only thing that will fulfill you. I'll never forget when they had the cameras in Heidi Baker's face. And they said, when you're in America, in the five-star resort, do you struggle, come on, do you struggle when you're in Mozambique? I mean, living on the dirt. And do you struggle? She said, I only struggle when I'm here. I never struggle there. Why? Because that's the will of God for her life. Now, a hundred times I've asked God, why did you put me in the south? Damon even said this. I'm glad he gave it some credence. But nobody knows what it's like to be in the south. I mean, you go above Macon, you, you, left, you know you left the south. <laughs> it's amazing how the mind shift above Macon versus down here. But Damon said, by God's grace and mercy, if it takes a lifetime, we're going to see a move of God come through the Bible Belt. Father, we love you today. Friend, I just want to tell you this. It's no coincidence you're here. God is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's writing a far better story than you can see for yourself. All he's asking you to do is to help him, let him develop you on the inside. Let me tell you this. When Jesus left, he gave us something that he said in John 16. He said, the comforter, the comforter, the comforter will come. Why did he send the Holy Spirit and say his name would be the comfort? Because he knew in your growth process you were going to need a lot of comfort. That's how good of a father he is. He says, I'm going to send a comforter for your growing pains. But I'm going to grow you. Father, I thank you that you are growing a far better story than we can see for ourselves in this room. I thank you that all of us that we can leave the frustration and saying, why am I not further? Why am I not, why am I not here? Why am I not there? Lord, we're right where you want us. We're right on time. We're right on target. We're right in the lane that you've called us to. And Lord, things are hard and things I don't understand. I trust you this morning. I trust you that you see further than I see. You think different than I think. And Lord, I thank you that you work all things out for the good of them that love you and are called according to your purpose. And Lord, I may not like the lesson plans I got right now. I may not like what you've drew up and dropped into my lap. But Father, I'm going to learn how to rejoice and be thankful in every season. Like Paul saying, I know how to abound and I know how to do without. But in all things, you're worthy of the glory and you're worthy of the praise. I thank you that you lead and guide us into all truth. 
You have not left me nor forsaken me. You know exactly right where I'm at today. I thank you that you have committed great things unto me and you will fully develop them in your time and in season. I thank you that we will bear great fruit and they will be great fruit that shall come from this house. That the greatest days have not been seen yet. But Father, they're only building into a great, a magnificent crescendo that we shall see in the coming days. But Father, we trust you right now in this season. I bless every person under the sound of my voice. I bless them with rest. I bless them with hope. I bless them with just your goodness, Lord. I pray rain over us right now. The fresh rain of heaven. Stretch your hands up right here to receive it. Father, we receive just a fresh touch of the anointing this morning. A fresh touch of your presence this morning. Go deep in us, Holy Ghost. Go deep in us, Lord. Father, develop roots in us that will bear great and long-lasting fruit. In Jesus' name. Let me just say this. We need each other. We need each other to encourage us. We need each other to speak in our lives. If you don't, you got to get connected. That, that's, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. I'm going to leave you with this. When I was struggling with that with Grant, I called Cleveland. I told you I was struggling that. And me and him would cry together. And he just, I, I went home and I told Catherine, I said, he spoke the greatest wisdom into my life. That's what community is all about, church. When I went to talk to him that day, I became the student and he became the teacher. I'm not always the teacher. Father, I bless this house. Trust you, Lord. Trust you. To trust you. To trust you. God just gave us something we had been praying for for over two years. And I looked at it one day and I felt just fear grab me saying, Lord, how in the world am I going to pay for all this? And then I was just reminded in my spirit, God is not an Indian giver. Let's, let's deal with that right here. God is not an Indian giver. Because your daddy snatched stuff away from you, God never does that. He doesn't toy things over us. God doesn't give us false promises either. Let's just say that in here. Larry, God doesn't say, He doesn't say something over our life and then say, you know, watch them, Jesus, watch them. Watch them. They're going to spend two years chasing after that thing and it ain't never going to happen. He never does that. The Bible says, Manny, every good and perfect gift comes from above. He said, you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more does your heavenly Father give, the, give good gifts to those that ask? He's not an Indian giver. And I just look at what He gave me and I said, there's no way there, that's a lie from hell. There's no way I'm not going to be able to pay for what God gave me. God don't give me something and then don't give me the means to take care of it. If he gives it to me, then he knows I have the ability to steward what he gave me. I got to leave you with this. In the book of Nehemiah, thank you, Holy Spirit. In the book of Nehemiah, they accomplished a building a wall in 51 days, what they couldn't do in years. How they did it, there's a wonderful picture in Nehemiah chapter 3. says this, Nehemiah's name means comfort. It said this, how they rebuilt the wall, it says that the pre, there's what they did. They basically worked on the wall that was in front of their house. I want to tell everybody in this room, all you got to do is start right in front of you. 
A lot of times we pray for the nations and don't see what's right in front of us. You're praying to be the worship leader, Kim Walker, and we can't see what's right in front of us. Be faithful with every dance. Be faithful with every time you hold the mic in that youth room over there. Sing like you on the big, sing like you standing in Atlanta or L.A. like you're on the biggest stage in America. And you honor it like that and you watch what God does with your life. Start on the wall right in front of you. Hear me? That means, listen here, you're on that, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm on overtime, I know. But that means be faith, let's be faithful with the men's ministry God gave us. Hello? Let's don't cancel another men's meeting because we ain't got it together, men. Come on. Start on the wall right in front of you. Women, start on the wall right in front of you. Oh, oh I want to build the wall. Junior's building. Junior can't build my wall and I can't build him. We got to get set. Work on what's in front of you. Oh, Lord, give it. Lord, will you open the door? He said, I've done open five big doors. Knucklehead. Get over there and get on it. Hello. Work on the wall that's in front of you. What is right in front of you? What is right in front of you? Work on that. Work on that wall. Everybody, if you look straight ahead, there's a a part of the wall sitting right in front of you. Work on that. Father, I bless them today in Jesus' name. Thank you for the opportunity to preach the gospel in this house. I thank you. I thank you this. I was reminded this week, every time I get low, I always remember this. Dan Broom told me this one time. He looked at me. He said, my God. He said, you, do you know who you are? And I said, who? He said, you are the pastor of Cornerstone Christian Church, the greatest church in America. I thank you that I pastor the greatest church in America. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you all. We'll see you here next Sunday morning. Hug somebody. Love them. Tell them it's good to see them. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.